everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew. My blog is comicsfondle.com. And my name is Vernon, a once upon a time comics retailer who also uh, gets to contribute occasionally to the Comics Fondle blog. Yes, he does. Yeah, having some fun with that, too. Thank you. And uh, so we are probably a month late, but we actually like the comics we read this month, so that'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, on our big 49th podcast, on our countdown to 50, so it should be uh, a nice batch. I mean, uh, not not too voluminous, but at least we like the books we read uh, for 95% of them anyway, which is good. That's good ratio for us. Yeah, very good ratio for us. Yeah, so let's see, on the quick news, I'll do a quick rant, you know, which is my forte. Um, sales figures, okay, I'm a bit of a geek for sales figures, and I follow a couple of uh, sites, uh, Jonathan Jackson Miller over at the Comicron.com. That's comics with H-R-O-N after dot com. He uh, publishes uh, Diamond Sales Figures, I'd say about the second week of the month. Uh, you can catch those and all of the top shit, 500 titles are listed by how many copies they sell for you geeks that are interested in how your favorite titles are doing. And Todd Allen, who writes for Heidi's Comics Beat, does an annual analysis, or I should say a monthly analysis afterwards. And it's uh, looking kind of grim, kids. Uh, I'm kind of kind of glad I took a hiatus for a while because uh, the median sales figures for the big two's comics are coming in at like, on average, they're having a hard time breaking forty thousand copies per issue on a lot of their books. There's the top ten, which frequently have one hundred to ninety thousand copies, and then you get one or two at eighty or maybe seventy. But the sixties and fifties are virtually non-existent which I can remember a time when these books would have been canceled for going those kind of numbers. And when you look at uh, DC's, uh, DC and Marvel Comics, typically their line sells between 10 and 40K per issue. And feeling sorry even more for Image, where like 95% of their line sells below 10K. <laughs> so they're going to have to figure out, there is some kind of saving grace, but it uh, comes with a caveat uh, the ones that are scoring up in the 100 to 90 are all event comics or first issues or something like that. You know what I mean? It's either an event storyline of a mini or maxi series or it's like the first issue of Venom or the first issue of Spider-Man. And they all quickly deteriorate down below that 60 level in no time. But uh, uh, if the comic book companies are going to have to turn things around, I have a feeling that in the next year or so we're going to be going towards primarily event comics. Uh, where you're going to have limited series or major storylines that are just self-contained in one series. I I don't really see ongoings lasting too much longer unless they're in the top five or six characters. Tough to swallow, but that's how it goes. Uh, let's see, there was a couple other things. What You know, they, they announced, Image announced the hardcover collection of Warren Ellis's. Uh, he was doing Trees and something else, and I can't remember that secondary book. Uh, shit. But anyway, they announced a hardcover collection, and I started laughing my head off because I think he quit writing and uh, he quit writing this thing about a year ago. And I'm like, is it really fair to announce a collection when you're never going to finish this series? It's something like a fifty dollar hardcover, whatever. And I was like, well, beware on that one because you know you're going to buy the first half of a story and you're never going to see the second half. Oh, so he's doing a part. They're doing a part one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like a compendium of the first three or four trades, and I wish I could remember this thing. Injection. Injection, right. And I was like, it started out fine. It got a little draggy there in the middle before he cut it off, and and Declan Shelby, he uh, purloined from Marvel to work on the thing, you know, and for whatever reason, probably sales, if I know Warren Ellis more than anything, he kind of loses interest once sales, you know, don't quite match the stuff, but it just seems horribly unfair to want to collect something that will probably never be finished. I, I just, I think it's very unfair. And I also wanted to comment on, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the uh, comic, uh, Hey Kids Comics, Howard Chaikin's view of uh, the comic book industry. But uh, in issue four, they had a blurb where he uh, advertises the next issue. It says, uh, what was that phrase he used? Uh, the comic book industry is the ATM of the entertainment industry. It's just something to that effect. And I go, wow, those are pretty true words, to be honest with you. I mean, they're kind of strip mining the history of comics to come up with movies and television now, whereas the actual source material is not really getting much 
notice, you know, and yet they've got, they got everything now, you know, who needs to write anything for the next, what, 15, 20 years, as far as long, as long as they do the, the decent quality stuff of superhero films, it's going to be, I don't know, the, the, the source material eventually run out, but it's just kind of funny there. It's kind of like the mining where they just take the whole mountain down and just take what they need right. and just put the stuff behind, you know? So anyway, let's get to the upbeat matters and get to reviews. What What's the first thing on the list? You know, I still didn't read The Damned. I still didn't read Batman The Damned. So, you've actually got a post about it that'll go up soon, but... No, okay. Yeah, Batman The Damned. Uh, well, not not much to recommend on it. It's got some pretty art and some very mannered Brian Azzarello dialogue, but it failed on a number of ways, just primarily because I couldn't get interested in it, you know? Uh, I think I mentioned in the blog post that have come up that it should have just kind of been an Elseworlds book, you know, and the premise of how everything is slightly ajar for a different world and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I just didn't find it terribly interesting. His takes on the mystical characters that co-star in the book is kind of odd. There's a nice take on Zatanna, which I found interesting, but obviously not enough over two or three pages to carry a comic. And I'm still be puzzled by the adult content of this black label, which I, I guess the, the new publisher of DC Comics is already nixed because I guess on her first week at the work, she had to put up with all this criticism from uh, groups that think that we didn't we shouldn't be looking at Batman's full frontal nudity, which I, I don't have a problem with. If there's a good reason to show it's John Thomas, I'm all about <laughs> it. But I'm telling you, you know, I was like, okay, I didn't know that Batman ran around the Batcave naked. I go, I'm not sure I needed to know either. You know, it would have been better off just leaving it in the shadows. But for some reason, I think there's three distinct panels where you have to look at Batman's junk, even if it isn't a real microscopic type of way, you know. And <laughs> it doesn't do anything. It doesn't add to the story. You know, he's not there. I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know. So I'd have to rate that a fail because it's seven bucks. And if the publisher's any reactions, anything to it, it probably won't be finished, you know. And for seven bucks, it's not much of a story for, I think, was it, I don't know if it's 45 pages long, something to that effect. I don't know. Just uh, Lee Bermejo, he's a great artist, but he gets really uh, hung up on details sometimes, you know, that are really weird. Like Batman's got like these new buckle fetish boots that have like eight or nine buckles along the top, you know, like he just got uh, out of a goth concert or something. And I'm like, you're so busy looking at these odd little details he throws in that they distract from the flow of the story, and you like to wonder why he does it. So, I don't know. That was a that was an epic fail for seven bucks. I'll, I'll take a pass on that. And I forgive you if you don't read it, Andrew. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I just kept forgetting. Weird. Yeah, um, weird. Weird how we forget those books. Yeah. Yes. So uh, next up is Kaiju Max Volume Four Number Two, which came out a while ago, but. We took forever to read, and they yes. haven't had a third one yet, which is... Odd. Yeah. There's a lot of that oddity going around. Um, but it's a good... It's good. I mean, yeah, it's, they take the, what, the female side of the yeah. uh, uh, Japanese monster in prison story, you know, and uh, it's filled with some nice detail. You're very sympathetic for the characters, and he does go for, you know, the woman's angle, I guess you'd say. He's, he tries hard. Let's yeah. put it that way. Um, the Magic artwork. Order. Oh, you want to? Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say. I, mean, I don't know. It's just. Like, I was going to say he doesn't really introduce anything new. I no. mean, as far as radically different, you know. So we're going to have to wait and see. But uh, hopefully, he gets a couple more issues out so we can actually kind of judge how the series is going so far. Yeah, I imagine Kaiju Max, as long as he gets it all finished, because I think they're talking six or seven volumes total. I imagine it would read better in a reading each volume uh, subsequent to one. Yeah. Like trade reading, probably. Because, I mean, you know, this one's good, but it's not doing anything yet. So Right. I, you forget the names of the characters and who they are when there's, what, three or four months between issues sometimes, yeah. you know. you got to go reread the old one again, which is fine, but <laughs> I try to make it quarterly. I always say, you know, at least try to make it quarterly. So you, you had better luck with the Magic Order. At least you finished the series, I think. I didn't get that Four's far. Four's not the end, is it? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. No, it's not the end. It's, so. you know, whatever. I thought you were going to read it anyway. I uh, got the first three in the bag. 
Well, yeah, but I thought you wanted to read the fourth one for the podcast. You know, I thought about it, and it was just one of those things wow. that I forgot about. I mean, it's he started fine. out real strong, but it yeah. just kind of meandered there, you know, in two and three. And I was like, okay. Uh, it was it was one of those things we call a pitch issue, you know, yeah. where number one really superlative, and we can actually see uh, Mr. Copiel draw. Well, how did it do in Ford? Is, is it going to keep your interest to finish the first story arc? No, but... Aww. It's fine. I don't like. Yeah. It's fine. It's a Mark Miller that isn't crappy, so it's fine. Like yeah. he has two yeah. modes: he either is crappy or he's fine. That's true. He doesn't hit superlative very often. No, and he did once, right? The Flash Gordon one ended right, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. sweet, and that would have made a good movie. I think he could have. You know, he still he still remains probably the most successful comic writer adaption to to other media. Although I haven't seen him ever since he sold Malar World. Was it? Did he sell the copyrights to Malar World? I'm thinking a while back. Somebody's doing a bunch of shows. Maybe Netflix. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen anything, but yeah, yeah. So educated. Perfectly adequate read, eh? Perfectly adequate read. And okay. now it's time for you to talk about Ether. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's see. Ether. 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 Who's our uh, author on that? I gotta look that up real quick. Uh, Matt Kent, who fares better a lot of times for me than Jeff Lemire, um, just because he's a little more of a structured writer. On this particular series, though, he kind of stretches the character out a little bit longer than he needs to. This is a a three volume arc with five issues per. And I'd have to say that while it's not one of the strongest comics work I've ever seen. I am very enchanted with his characters and the personal, uh, I'd say, failures and struggles of the lead character. And uh, it's portrayed in a fantasy dimension where a guy from our dimension has to go to another one to solve crimes. And then when it's discovered the other one exists, the corrupt fantasy characters try to do stuff on Earth to mess him up. And uh, a lot of it is held together with David Rubin's art, who's still among my favorite contemporary car- cartoon artists. Um, well, is the, the second arc, which just finished the Copper Golems, came along pretty good, and it finished fine. Um, I'm, I'm probably on board for the rest of the series just because I personally like the characters and I like the situations. It's not for everybody, uh, if, especially if you want patients trying to go on these quest type of comic books, you know. But the, the main character suffers an awful lot. And because uh, t- the time, the time differences between the fantasy world and his real one, when he goes, he goes away for years, even though it could be weeks or less than that, because he can't eat over there. So he has to come back. No, he throws up everything. He can't digest anything. So he's only got a few days over there, but it can go on for years uh, in, on regular Earth. And you watch what happens to his wife and his two daughters as they age and the Earth changes while he's gone. And it's filled with quite a lot of pathos that engaged me, and I found I found I was in, I, I liked the series so far, and I'll finish the third arc, no doubt about it. Of course, David Rubin he could he could do tattoos for all his life, and I'd read people's arms if it had David Rubin tattoos on them. So I guess I'm not the best judge out of them. All right, so not yeah, Black Hammer, Black save Hammer. that Black Hammer, Black yeah. Hammer Five. Uh, so it's been a rocky second series of Black Hammer but the fifth issue seems to have at least gotten the series back to a very interesting place Um, the big reveal is unexpected but makes sense Um, elements like the hints of what was going on, everything fits in nicely. And it seems like it's going to go someplace good. It could go someplace cool from here. I don't. <laughs> yeah. You it's hard say it to get, issue. you know, it's the first 12 issues in the special were great. So it's like, and the first trade, uh, the first spinoff series was great. And then. The second spinoff series wasn't great, and Black Hammer Age of Doom didn't start that strong. And it's just like, it's it's been a hard time to be a Black Hammer fan. Right. Uh, the Like, we, we all, um, like, 
we all like forgive Jeff Lemire for his appropriations of homage. And that was a big part of the first series, which kind of kept us going because it was fresh. But I think in the last couple of series, the homage angle wore kind of thin, and he had to bring a little bit more to the table. And he didn't really have much other than the homage. I mean, the uh, Green Lantern Starman one was, I don't know, it was kind of like a half-baked cake. Oh, and when that guy shows up in Black Hammer, Age of Doom, I'm just like, where does this fit in the timeline? It doesn't have it. That stupid series I read has nothing to do with this scene. Why did I read that series? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's that franchise thing he wants to do. But yeah. it's, we talked about that last podcast. It's it's too early to be franchising when you don't have your first epic under your belt. Right. I, I'm kind of glad that uh, in one way or another he did start to tie up the main storyline with this uh, arc because it kind of. We get. I think we get a fairly satisfactory conclusion as to why things are where they are, and it's no longer a mystery to the main characters why they exist in this particular time and place anymore. You know, but he kind of stumbled with the like the Sandman Neil Gaiman homage issue. Yeah, some of the other stuff just kind of meandered a bit, and I was kind of. I tell you that second issue, I was bored to tears. I was scared to death. I wasn't going to be able to finish. <laughs> But uh, him and uh, Dean Armstrong managed to save the set, the, the second series, and uh, we'll probably keep an eye on the third one just to see how it does. Yeah. But he's gonna have to, he's gonna have to crack the whip a bit. I'll uh, let you start on the next one, Infinity Eight Volume Two. So I think we might have talked about the first issue, and the first issue is a little concerning, and so that's why this podcast was so nice. Everything where we were concerned, it <laughs> it all turned around. And uh, Infinity 8, 2, and 3, they pull it off. Um, yeah, we were concerned about the, the Hitler ultimate solution. about, And even they mentioned that in the uh, last issue. I think uh, Trondheim talks about his artistic collaborator and says, you know, the guy was making fun of him when he told him to pitch. And he goes, no, no, not Hitler's ultimate solution, which pretty much equated the groans that you and I were given to it. But it... It really did work, and that third issue where Hitler comes to his ultimate solution was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and uh, Trondheim is a um, very complex writer. He likes to do things like in these big jigsaw puzzles where you get little pieces at a time and you assemble them, and they're just, uh, I don't know, they're, he's uh, got this thing where he um, reboots the series every three issues, but it's got some characters that continue on in slightly different frames, and then there's a couple of them that are very consistent in their use for the first two series. But he packs a lot of shit in each ish, each three issues, which is pretty yeah. cool. So that's nice. That's nice that yeah. turned around. Yeah, you're going to have to like search hard for these. I guess Lion Forge publishes it, and uh, I'd be hard-pressed to find too many comic book fans that even know who Lion Forge is, you know, unless you religiously read previews catalogs every month or whatever. But uh, – you should try chase down the trade paperbacks. That's probably the best way to read them, anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I hope they get through all eight of them. He's supposed to do eight three issue miniseries. Well, Ooh. these are reprints, so at the very least, it's not like the material won't be out there if Lion Forge can't make it work. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It'll always come out on a regular scheduled deadline, and if worse comes to worse, they can just chuck it straight into trade format right. or something like that. Yeah. But Infinity Eight was a really good read. It was just really up there, you know, and it 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 satisfies those of you who just want a nice, light, breezy read. And then if you're more of a complex, crazy motherfucker like Andrew or I are, who really, really, really pick apart things on a minute level, it satisfies there as well. Uh, oh, hey, kids! Comics. The comic for people forty and over. Howie Chaykin doing the secret origin of. Thankless comic book artists. Yeah, the industry, uh, the industry scabs laid bare. I guess you'd say it. Um, it's so funny because I remember when we started talking about Howie Chaykin's art going about 10, 12 years ago. We were just like, "Oh, it's Howie," and Howie's just you know doing his Howie art again. And it's just weird that we've gotten so used to it since then that this one I'm like, dang, he's really putting in a lot of detail on the cities. Like, I was That's like, right. just just because everybody looks exactly the same, he's still putting in some work. Yeah, that's one thing in a Howie Chaykin book. You really got to pay <sighs> attention to names because sometimes the characters get a little blurry. But 
this uh, quote-unquote expose of the comic book industry from like the 30s until now, which narratively bounces back, not really back and forth. It's more of a linear bounce, but each issue goes, uh, what, 10 years up in like three or four different grids of the comic. And, And you follow, I guess, three of the basic creators and their place within the history of comics and it probably helps to have a knowledge of comics history to mm-hmm. kind of get some of the in jokes, but it's scathing, man. It's mean, and it fits Howard Chapin's worldview perfectly. You know, you, you can see why he became a cynical bastard. Yeah, I mean, and then Stan Lee comes off better than the DC guys. I, I feel like a little. Stan Lee comes off kind of like a boob. The DC guys come off as bad guys. Like, yeah, they're they're assholes, but they're like devious assholes where Stan Lee wears his assholeness on the sleeve of his shirt. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But they don't call him Stan Lee. They all got no. different names. And Jack some Kirk- of the names, like it's kind of hard cause you're like reading some of the names and you're just like, no, Howie, no comic book company would make it with this fucking name. Like, come on. No. Right. Pavilion right. comics or whatever. You're just like, no, Howie. Yeah. He he does a great job on it. It's it's not it's it's for those of us who can handle a cynical view of the comic book history, you know? And uh and, and like you said, like uh that earlier quote I mentioned where comic book the comic book industry is the ATM for the entertainment industry nowadays in movie and TVs. It just follows right into that, you know, and uh it's a pretty scathing review, but for those of us who are entertained by such things, it's kind of an interesting ride. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I know everybody's going to die in the end just because of age, but uh, I want to see how a lot of them fare, you know? Yeah. It's worse than all. I mean, uh, Howie doesn't shy away from anything from Jew baiting to uh, stereotypical, our one black guy on the creative end and women's places in comics and it it covers a lot of really sordid angles about the comic book industry that uh, I find entertaining, if perhaps off-putting at times. Yeah, it's, um, what if, what was it, the untold story of Marvel Comics was rated R, would be a good Yeah, thing. and the creators didn't, didn't want to mind burning their bridges about what was going on, you right. know? Howie's willing to make some conclusions, um... He's got some pretty blistering one-pagers in the back, too. Uh, those are pretty mean-spirited. He did a, a great Hostess Pie parody. I think, I forget who was on the artwork. It might have been Jerry Ordway. I forget. But he got a couple of guest stars on those, and those are pretty mean-spirited as well. So if you know your comic history, you'll get a lot of these jokes. But uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's like when well, you get that perfect synthesis of the creator and the subject matter. You yeah. know what I mean? So... Not for everybody, but damn good kids' comics, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Barbarella, 9 and 10. So Barbarella 9 was concerning. It was one of the concerning comics we talked about. Way too much going on. Just, like, not... Not enough interesting going on. Nothing in... Yeah, it was all, like, set up. Issue 10, on the other hand, has wonderful payoff throughout. It's it's back to the magical sort of R-ratedness of Barbarella. And it's nice to see Carrie fix it, but it's just, you're just like, maybe you need a better editor. Yeah, well, those guys don't exist anymore. And I suspect what is this is going to finish at 12. I was rather surprised to see this become a three-parter. It didn't seem like there was enough meat in the story. Yeah, the second the second part expands a lot to get to a third part. Right. And 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 Carrie always provides these interesting characters. He he has a pretty good imagination for myth building. And uh Barbarella just kind of fits right in there and uh I would never accuse Barbarella of being cerebral comics, but it's always at least fun to read if you're into the comic kind of fantasy storytelling. Yeah. Kind of got it kind of back on track hopefully he ends up with 11 and we get a killer with 12 but so far i mean it's been a it's been a nice breezy entertaining read with just that one major hiccup in issue nine or whatever it was and then yeah. that one fill that one fill in that one fill in yeah yeah that one fill in but not too bad for him not too bad for work for hire you can only imagine what he gets paid for this stuff i don't know yeah yeah weatherman you've been keeping up with weatherman i have Good, good for you. I, I recently reread one through five as a straight linear thing, and 
I'm still on board. I mean, I don't know how long he can keep this up. They're talking about this going ongoing past Ooh. six. Yeah, and I'd kind of prefer to see the thing tied up with him, you know. But so far, so good. I mean, it's a little clumsy in its handling of the characters. But um, the thing about the Earth dying and this weatherman being the key as to whether how they're going to stop the rest of humanity from being killed or not is, is, I don't know, it seems to be engaging science fiction. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying there's anything original here, but, uh, and what's his name's artwork on yeah, it? Yeah, uh, the art's the sort of... Uh, Nathan Fox. Nathan Fox, yeah. Fox, he's half the, he's half the draw. You know, it's kind of interesting nowadays when you've got like a, an artist that's half the draw in the comic because he really brings the world to a physical fruition in working with the, a writer. And this is one of those comics where him and the writer are real, the writer being Jody LaHoop. Um, they just do a good job. They mesh well together, you know, and uh, it's very fast paced. Kind of reminds me like of an Arnold Schwarzenegger film that's science fiction or something yeah. like that with a kid or whatever it is. And uh, I don't know. I'm really digging that. Weatherman's guy. The first arc's supposed to be done at six. We'll see how it finishes. But uh, first five have been all right so far. Yeah. You know? And Nathan Fox on a month, on a getting it in monthly. That's been good. It's been a good fit for him. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, to finish out the floppies, here's another one that we uh, were kind of scared about a bit, but it seems to have redeemed itself a little on the latest issue. Redneck. Redneck 13 came back and started the new arc and was concerning as all hell. And Vern actually stuck with it. I was like, eh. But he was like, no, 14 and 15. Yeah, so 15 yeah, is yeah. good. Like, 14's all right. Like, it's not yeah, bad, like, right. 13. Yeah, yeah. But 15's one of those good issues of Redneck where you're like, oh, I need to keep reading this comic. It's nice when a creator can take something like uh, as tiredly done as vampires and multi-generational vampires and kind of bring a new spirit about it. Like, you know, that old phrase, all art is about art. So there's not really a whole lot of original stories out there, you know? But it's how you bring the modern viewpoint into what you can consider classical subject matter, you know, and what your viewpoint is. And the, um, the family of vampires that, uh, manages to stick together through thick and thin in this book and the recent, uh, turn of events, which get them relocated in another vampire's compound is, is pretty fun, you know, and you get to dig in the characters a little bit. And, uh, Esther, artwork, is, uh, you know, he puts just enough detail. He doesn't overload you with detail, but they're very imaginative, expressive type of characters and pages. So Redneck has still got my, I'd say what you call it, my favorite soap opera. Would that be a good way to put it right now? I don't know. Yeah, for what we read, it kind of is. Yeah, I think so. Soap opera. Yeah. so there are some good, there's some good floppies out there. We've had some pretty good luck uh, this month. It continues to to stay, uh, what do you call that, uh, stoke my faith that there are good comic books out there. So I was very happy this time around. we got a couple of trades to mention real quick. So you finished the complete killer eventually then. Good for I you. I did, yes. Um, wow, that was long. That was like 750 pages, wasn't it? Yeah, done in European-style albums of what, like Over 45, 50 pages or something. How many years? Like... Oh took a while it was it reprinted took, from french material i'm thinking french material but i feel like it started in like 2005 or six getting reprinted here because it came out from arcasia remember before they got yeah. bought by somebody else so i mean and they didn't finish it they did 12 issues the first two yeah. albums or something yeah they never finished it we had to wait for so, this this <clears throat> It's a It's worth the read. It's not entirely successful. The end of it is sort of goofier than shit, but at the same time you're like you've been doing this for 600 pages. I don't know how else you're going to do this. Right. He 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 <clears throat> might be at Matt's and I forget who the artist is. Maybe Matt's is the artist. Let me see. Yeah, let's see. Was her names? Oh, Jackamon, Jackamon. Yeah, and uh, you could accuse him of uh, stringing along this uh, story of a professional hitman, and it's a horribly pessimistic worldview. Uh, it's reinforced by the end. So if you're like a suicidal type, end of the world, end of the world person, you might not want to read this. You know, 
but I don't know. It 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 still had a certain permeance. That's not the right word. Um, it 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 made an impression on me because the character, despite his worldview, was convincing. I guess yeah. you'd say, you know. And despite the fact that he's kind of not in control of his own world, uh, despite being an incredibly powerful killer, you know, it had a, an interesting worldview in it, which wasn't for everybody. But I don't know. He, he was. I don't like a lot of European stuff. I don't find it's well written. There's not a whole lot of well-written European stuff. It's hard to find. They're really into art and color and everything. But I, I ultimately, I found the complete killer, eh, worth it. I mean, it's a it's a long read and it's not an easy read. But I don't know, beautiful yeah, watercolor. You're not going to read that in a sitting or two or three. Like, yeah, yeah, you're up to about four or five sittings. I'm thinking on this one. Yeah, yeah, but good stuff. Uh, how about Ed Brubaker's latest book? You mean criminal? Um, the return? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my heroes have always been junkies. So I remember when we heard about this, and I was like, we should pair this with Complete Low Life, which was Brubaker's first book that he self published and he drew it himself. Ed Brubaker used to draw. It's this indie book about being a listless, drug addled 20 something. Uh, and. He's never done anything like that again. And I assumed from the title that My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies would be like that. But no. My Heroes no. Have Always Been Junkies, <clears throat> despite having sort of this watercolor coloring style, which is interesting on Sean Phillips, but not really appropriate since Sean Phillips has so such narrow lines and very little uh, sort of weight to the... Like, I just remember seeing the girl's hands and being like, those, that's not how Sean Phillips' hands should look because they're too, like, it looks unfinished with the watercolor. It's it too understated. It's flat in some yeah. ways. It's interesting to see for a couple pages, not for 76 or whatever. But it is just a criminal, and it's a fine criminal story. Um, a bit lightweight. A bit lightweight, but, you know, he's always, he's bringing, they're bringing back criminal so, yeah, you got to take it because we've been waiting so long to get some criminal in our, you know, uh, it follows through with the old characters, mm-hmm. although they've aged a bit, you know, it focuses in on one young lady who we lost track of quite a long time back What the first or second volume, I think it was. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I think it was a nice pastiche if he'd like maybe busted his pencil writing it a little more maybe to add some more depth to the female and male thing yeah that's the other thing is the title refers to the girl is a fan of late 60s american music and probably some english music and everybody's everybody who did music then was a junkie and so her heroes have always been junkies and it's just kind of like yeah, I can't believe you 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 struggled along seventy six pages with just that as her primary characterization, and it's because in the last quarter you find out that it's a criminal book, so right. it's to distract you, and it's just kind of like it. I was expecting something more from their first graphic novel together, something different, and it's not something different. It's kind of what they always do. And I but she's think, not that sympathetic of a character either. No, and she's not particularly likable. And the nope. dude isn't particularly likable. And the watercolors are flat. And the music references are a little much. And it's just kind of like, it's fine. Like, I certainly didn't feel like I did during uh, Kill or Be Killed, or whatever the fuck okay. that was called. But yeah, I, manipulated. If that's the word for it. <clears throat> Exasperated was my word for it. Um, but I mean, it's just kind of like, I don't know if I said this to you the last time we talked, but I just feel like, did we imagine the fade out? Did we imagine Fatal? Were those real books? Did they actually get that good and then slide this far back down? Because I think they did. Yeah, my, my, my nitpickiness, I think it was only like 66 or 68 pages, by the way. And mm. I mentioned this to Andrew. Uh, it's got a very precious hardcover format. It's That's comic right. book. 
1699. Now this is enough content for three of the 399 content. So you do you do your simple math. Four times three is uh, 12 bucks or thir- yeah, 12 bucks. And this thing is 1699. So wait till it comes out as a trade paperback. That would be my thing. Maybe yeah. you can get it as like 10 or 12 dollar trade paperback. At 17 dollars, it's a little expensive for what you get out of it. I feel think. like you know. I feel like there's a target audience for it, and we were that target audience. And like, I feel like a little bit of a sucker. Like, yeah, but not yeah. as much of a sucker as I did with Killer Be Killed. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Killer Be Killed was interesting. It was long. I still it had, need to like, read it. It had some individual issues where are really Brubaker's strong points at time where he does these one-offs or something like that. But his narrative throughout the series was very – to me, it was very manipulative and it didn't really add up as much as it needed to. So, again, Ed, get that get that editor back, okay? You said you, you loved that editor for Fade Out. It was the first time – I think it's, it's maybe get, getting the time to have someone look at your work again with a – with a less than a jaundiced eye to see what you can come up with anyway, you know? So we're happy about criminal, but not very happy about, you know, my heroes are all junkies. I don't know. Yeah. We're not happy about it. We're just, yeah. Burn. Well, I'll mention, I'll mention a quickie here by a couple of, uh, I don't know. One of them is a fave. Uh, Andrew and I always love Roger Landry. He's probably one of the best working humorous cartoonists today. And he teamed up with Ryan Ferrer, of all people, who has a mis- mixed history. Uh, what do they mention here? His last book, which was uh, something about the Kennel, Kennel Block Blues, which was like this we big read music. that, yeah. Yeah, and everything about that book was damn cool except for the finish. And uh, he had a good artist. And Ryan Ferrer shows like uh, – he shows patches of uh, – I don't know, brilliance is the right word, but he shows patches of being able to write. And Criminy, I, I guess I got fooled with Ryan Ferrer and Roger Landridge because it's really a kid's book, okay? <laughs> and it's a well-executed kid's graphic novel, although it's not that interesting. Uh, he He's kind of repetitious, and I see they put more work in the development of the book and the characters than they did on the structure, I think, which I find it was supposed to be a four or five issue miniseries and they decided to finish it and just put it in one book, which probably was the best idea, all things concerned. And Roger Landridge's art based on uh, the Max Flesher Studios cartoons is really sweet to look at. I mean, I, I even on a bad day, I have to look at right. Roger Landridge's drawings and just find some charm to him. They're really, he's really one of the best. Ferrer's script, though, seems dumbed down and simplistic. And, you know, you could probably get a middle grade grade schooler to enjoy this. But uh, and it's probably better than like half of the young adult graphic novels on display at your local library at any given time. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's better executed, you know, but it still comes off as kind of empty because Crime Mini and his family are not that cool. You know, they're just not that, they don't grab me as much, you know, despite all the shit that happens to them, you know, they're, what do you call at the very beginning, their island home gets run over by pirates and everybody's killed or eaten and they escape and they have all these different adventures and stuff. And I don't know, I don't know, maybe if I was 10 or 12, <laughs> I'd get it a little more, but uh, strictly for the kids, okay? Don't be fooled. Okay, so now we get to talk about media, which has been, at least as far as certain TV shows go, a shit show. Um, I don't think we recorded before Iron Fist, or after Iron Fist got canceled, but Iron Fist got canceled, and it was kind of like, okay, um, why did you tell us? Yeah, you just yeah. could have not made another Iron Fist. Like nobody was super waiting for it. Like the Defenders has not been canceled by Netflix, but Iron Fist has. So a couple weeks after that, Luke Cage got canceled. Now that was a surprise. Yeah. Apparently, Netflix and Disney, or Netflix and yeah, Disney, whoever it would they be. They call it creative differences, is it? It was I think creative that... differences. It was... Uh, there's this theory out there that people are talking about the shows less on social media, and that might be why. 
that that's supposedly an indicator of how Netflix's popularity works. But since Netflix doesn't release ratings of any kind, nobody knows. So, but then also is uh, Disney is going to be doing Marvel shows on its streaming service starting next year, the year after. And those are going to be... They're going to have $100 million budgets. They're going to be six-episode uh, miniseries, and they're going to feature Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen and the movie stars who and probably a Hawkeye one. Like, they're going right. to be sinking real money into it uh, because Disney gets all of it. So there's been a lot of theories, not really theories, there's been a lot of hopeful uh, comments that this means we'll get Heroes for Hire or we'll get Daughters of the Dragon, but there's really no indication that that's coming. Um, some people are hoping that Marvel picks it or Disney picks it up for their streaming service in some way, but the other thing is they might not have streaming rights to the first two seasons of those shows yet, so I don't see them yeah. doing it a third if they don't have the first two. Yeah, that's that's a real tragic uh, set of events because I'm thinking, you know, Disney does great Marvel movies, but their TV track record is for shit. And it's I been mean, the Netflix ones that were good, you know, Netflix. Yeah, I, I heard good things about that uh, X-Men uh, spinoff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't uh, seen that one yet, though. But when they talk about like how Loki is going to be in a six uh, TV show deal, and then Scarlet Witch, and I'm like, I don't know. This doesn't. These are not like uh, they're not they're not they're B list. They're actually C list characters, and I just don't see Disney doing justice to them the way Netflix does with their R rated content. I mean, there's really no nudity. There's an awful lot of violence in the Netflix shows not much in the way of uh sexuality you know a no, little bit little a little bit but but i just don't see disney doing justice to the netflix stuff i mean the netflix stuff seems conceived by the comic book guys you know uh jeff jeff Loeb, for lack of a better character and other people involved with the production that kept it honest and true to the legends of the characters, you know, and uh, the castings for the most part have been fairly spot on. Um, Iron Fist being a rare exception, but I love Colleen Wing and Christine, what's her name? Christy. Misty Knight. Misty Knight. Those guys were, those guys were cast wonderfully, you know, and even Michael Colton, the fact that he can't act didn't, uh, didn't hurt me watching him be Luke Cage, you know, they they seem to the Netflix got the TV shows right, and uh, I just can't see Disney. You know, they're just their 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 track history. Other than Sharon Carter, Agent of Shield, I think it was. Yeah, I have <clears throat> Disney produced that I really give a rat's ass about as far as television. Sure, I'm not even sure that I don't think that Agent Carter came out of the same studio as. Um, Agents of Shield and Ultimate, or in uh, well, Inhumans. I think yeah, Sharon they, Carter was something separate from all that. Yeah, yeah, so, that mean, could have been. Yeah, it's it's not. Well, and the other thing is is that these are TV shows. It's a little bit different. They're not mini series, so they're not event series or whatever the hell they're going to come up to call them, but. They're supposed to be, you know, we, we should have expected a Luke Cage season three. We should have expected a Daredevil season four. Uh, we'll talk about season three in a second. Just because, you know, TV shows have multiple seasons. And what's right. weird is that the landscape has changed so much since they started. Like, yeah. that, the Defenders threw a big wrench in all this. Um, which is what it is. And it's unfortunate that it wasn't... And they they... They made a real misstep with Iron Fist and then yeah. the Defenders, even when it was really cool, it was never good. Um, yeah. The Punisher... Although, to be fair, Iron Fist 2 was better than 1, That's I right. Um, so, and, it, and the funny thing is, is the guy who produced Iron Fist produced the Defenders and produced the Inhumans. They had one Ugh. shitty producer and they got rid of him, but it's like the damage had been done. But at the same time, it could be an entire 
entirely a business decision from Netflix where they're just like, why do we want to pay you for your content when you're going to be our direct competitor? Yeah, that's true. It it seems like the end of the road in some ways just because I have so little faith in Marvel uh, being anything except the all-encompassing producer of Marvel properties, which right. seems to me the way they behave throughout their entire media uh, history, you know, and uh, it seems sad. I mean, because uh, I hate to say it, but I really enjoyed Daredevil 3. Daredevil 3 was so, like, so good. They did Bullseye yeah. really well. They did right. Kingpin really well. They did Matt's return to humanity really well um, they did cute old orphanage nun really well yeah what did you call her yeah cute, cute old orphanage nun his mom oops sorry. Well, we, well we knew that but she was just such a a likable character you know what i mean and uh i feel bad i mean they even they even finished this one up i would have to say it's like one of the most well-balanced 13 episode netflix series yeah, and it's got an ending that's the thing yeah, about this yeah yeah that's the thing about Luke Cage getting canceled is it ends on a cliffhanger. Right, right. Because you know there's more story to tell once he inherits the nightclub or gets right. control of the nightclub. And right. so, like, Jessica Jones, on the other hand, eh, it's got a pretty satisfactory conclusion. Like, it's not a happy ending, but, like, it, it ends. Like, it it's... It, it it has a better ending as a finale than when they try to pick it up in a season three and have to have her have a freaking boyfriend for a few episodes and a adopted son. Like, that's going to be hard for Jessica Jones. But maybe they'll be able to do it, but whatever. But Iron Fist season two didn't end on a cliffhanger. Like, it ended with setup for a season three, but not on a cliffhanger. Right. Whereas Luke Cage ends on a fucking cliffhanger and you're just like, yep, there you go. And it's, you know. I can't wait. Right. I can't, it's like, oh, you know, and the thing about Luke Cage is that everything besides Luke Cage is amazing. And right. Luke Cage, and so like the promise of season three was getting to see everything interact with this Luke Cage thing. Right, And they actually set it up with all the characters who are going to be in the season, watching him at the last scene in the nightclub, and it's it was awesome. And then yeah. they got canceled. Then and they it's got just kind of like... Pull the rug out from us. You know, that was that's one of those cliff or season finales where you should have already been renewed before you made that narrative choice. Yeah, they should have been advised of it because... In some ways, you could finish Daredevil here, and you'd be fine with it. Right. I mean, it was a great finale. It it was very uh, respectful to the comic book history. I mean, one of the great things about these Netflix shows is they've been pretty respectful. They've done some tweaking with the comic book history. But if you're a Frank Miller fan, there's no way you do not like the Daredevil series. It's just too close to the uh, bone as far as Frank Miller's original concepts are concerned. And they, yeah, and they've stuck to the origin stories. They've adapted the origin stories a lot more directly than any of the Marvel movies have. Right. I mean, they're they're very respectful uh, depictions of the characters in a real rock and roll kind of world. I mean, when Daredevil gets his shit kicked out of him, you know, you see him getting stitched up and he's bruises and Karen Page sees him with his shirt off at one point. She goes, oh my God. You know, like she's really in horror as the kind of, physical punishment he's been through you know and you get a feeling about his inner turmoil about being a good christian yet at the same time saying nothing we have has worked i'm just gonna have to do what i gotta do to end this and the acting from a lot of the characters was really good i don't know who that actor is that does the kingpin but that guy was spot on all the way through it you know yeah but, uh, <clears throat> so I don't know. I, 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 I know that there'll be another Punisher, probably just because it was so freaking popular. But at the same time, I'm, I'm really beginning to wonder if they're going to carry Jessica Jones on for a third series, especially. Supposedly you know. that's already been renewed. Okay. Um, and as of now, there has been no update on whether or not Daredevil has been canceled. I can see it ending now just because of the way it was. It, it it almost seems that way, you know. I mean, it's a happy, yeah. uh, 
it's it's an it's an optimistic you could continue it to another series, but I could see whereas the the guy said, Okay, here we are, this is it, and if it doesn't go anywhere after that, we're cool with that, you know. And I mean Yeah, and they leave it in a place where if someday there was a Daredevil cameo in a Spider-Man movie, it would be cute. It would, right. Also, it's kind of really up in the air. I feel bad because I've I've enjoyed the – even the shittiest of the Netflix shows with Huck Finn as Iron Fist um, was fine, okay? I mean I like Colleen Wing and Misty Knight better. But, you know, Iron Fist became a subservient role in his own show by issue two. And when they started bringing in the um, Mass Fraction Edward Brubaker plot lines, they really had something going. They really had some texture going to that show, you know? Oh, yeah. well, let's, let's get off this and let's talk about the DC land, the CW. <clears throat> All right, so we'll go in order of when they aired. Okay, so we get what? Flash? Supergirl? No, because Flash, Flash started first. Okay. And Flash's first episode was very concerning. Yeah, yeah. It didn't bring a lot of new life to the property, did it? And so we just did episode four. And episode four has the return of uh, Tom Cavanaugh, the Harrison Wells. Yes. And it is the silliest, kind of laziest, stupidest thing they they have ever done on this show. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways it make it at least makes the show entertaining again. Like Yeah. Wells is Harrison Wells. Yeah. Is Harrison Sherlock Wells. He's a French Canadian Sherlock French, Holmes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's French Canadian. He's Quebec. Oh, wow. He's Quebecese. Cuz that's what they they're talking about. they were talking about that. So it's just like that's kind of silly and it's He's there to solve the mystery of the villain who's just a supervillain serial killer. So it's unclear how this... No, he's not a dimwit, but he's sort of a... He's a con man, too. He's a a bit of a con man. And so it was just weird that that was the element that this show, this season, has been missing. Has been that Tom Cavanaugh makes a lot of it tolerable at this point in the show. He's certainly a better actor than just about anybody else on the show. Well, not Joe, except Joe has not stood up in three episodes, and I'm worried about him. He's oh, yeah, you're home. right. He sits. Yeah. In this episode, he had to move, but they don't show him moving. He's in a right. different chair the next shot. I didn't even think about yeah. that. You're right. He hasn't been standing up at all. He has not done a damn thing this season, and it's just the show's missing it. Yeah, he's he's an integral part of Barry's psyche, you know, because he's always Barry's always talking to him, but he's strangely missing. He's he's been reduced to like a cameo role presence. Yeah, he's got he's got a smaller role at times than his wife, and yeah. that story arc, the baby, is way too small. Like, it's yeah. barely in the show. It, like, they just do not have... They've got Barry and Iris' kid from the future. They've got Iris getting back to work at the paper. They've right. got the serial killer. They've got Caitlin trying yeah. to find out her history. They've got Joe and the baby. And then... So that's five. Well, Wells... And they kind of... that. Well, Wells doesn't have his own story arc yet. No. But then they've got Cisco being heartbroken. So that's like six-ish. And they've got Wells hanging out, not having his own story. And you've got Elongated Man hanging out, not having his own story. Right, yeah. Some of these CW shows get really bloated with a and, cast because they got rid of uh, Kid Flash. Right. And, you know, and it's like they have to trim it down slightly, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. So they've got like... Nine characters and seven storylines going on, and they're not juggling it that well. No, they got to make some hash to make the individual episodes a lot more interesting. Like, they have all these plot threads that they're more than happy to carry from one episode to another and make it real mischievous. And uh, what's her name? Um, What's her name? Excess. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's 
marginally interesting, if majorly annoying to some degree, and we find right. out enough about her to keep her interesting. But again, the Flash, I don't want to see it lose momentum, but it's kind of running in place, as I say right now. Yeah. Um, hey, Tom Cavanaugh's back. But then Supergirl has been better than last season, which is not a high bar. No. But it started out, and the first episode felt kind of like an apology for the last season. Like, they really concentrated on, you know, a tight storyline and making the characters, I don't know, not annoying um, in the same way that they'd gotten annoying last season. I don't know if they'd really gotten annoying last season. They'd sort of gotten tiring last season. Supergirl's whininess was being stretched a little too yeah. long and so this season, she's kind of doing a Cat Grant impression. Jimmy's the boss. What else? John's living on the street. He's not living on the street, but he's working on the street, helping aliens in the community. Right, right. He's taking a like not a vow of uh, not so a vow of pacifism. Vow of path. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex and the DEO is really annoying this season. Like, really, yeah, Alex. Annoying. I don't know when she stopped being a lesbian. There wasn't a whole lot of reason to watch that show. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know what that's the thing. That's the weak point so far has been the Alex and the uh, Brainiac Five. But I was surprised in the latest episode they didn't make more hash out of uh, what happened to the president. I mean, yeah. they're bringing current headlines about Trump and illegal illegal immigrants. I mean, obviously, that's a big impetus for a lot of the show's threads, aliens, as it were. And the big reveal in episode two about the president and why they didn't follow through in episode three with it a little more. I was rather surprised. We've only had two episodes. The two? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, then that's the why. first. Okay. Yeah. But Supergirl is passable anyway. I'm still kind of on board with that one. and. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. That's the main yeah. thing. It's not really succeeding, but it's not failing either. And um, it's, the, it, it it seems sturdier than Flash at this point. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be more about itself and not sure. It's more sure about where it's going yeah. to some degree. Uh, I saw Legends. the first. How, how the how the first episode? I found the first episode of Legends to be perfectly fine with its Woodstock yep. themes, you know, and. Uh, I love the unicorn with the magical pixie dust and uh, its cannibalistic attitudes. I'm fine. Uh, John Constantine works in very well as a character. He blends in when he should. He's kind of like their unofficial new cast member now. Yeah, he's still credited as a guest starring. But, yeah, I mean, it's fine. You know, Legends is... Legends is is the most... and easily the most entertaining of the CW shows and always has been, but you know, they know how to entertain. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. It doesn't get weighted down with multi, uh, well, it, it does have the plots that like last, uh, season with Meloc or Melolian or the evil yeah. demon trying to get that didn't bother me because they didn't really, they eschew character development for plots. Yeah. And plots seem to solve each other within one episode and it, it goes to a completely different time period or whatever. And uh, the lesbianism on this show is not as annoying as it was on Supergirl. I actually think it worked, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's thing about getting hit over the head and there's a thing about where it actually works with the characters. And I, I like Black Canary and her her relationship with this one head of the uh, time force and then her also friendship with Constantine, you know, and it's just, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't get too deep or in over its head. It just gives you little bits, you know what I mean, as opposed to trying to make something out of it. So, yeah, uh, seems fine. Yeah, not on the not on the level of Netflix shows, obviously, uh, but uh, I don't know, good, good uh, time passing stuff. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully the uh, next entry in our TV show, next time we talk, I guess we'll have uh, Sabrina under our belt. So we're hopefully. kind of guardedly optimistic about that one. What's his name? Sarkaza is listed as a producer, and he's the guy that wrote the comic book. Didn't finish the comic book. <laughs> no, you know, it always happens, man. It's like, what would you rather do? Would you rather write comics or would you rather make real money? 
He and promised, could, remember when the last one came out, they're like, we're on schedule, we're going to have the comics for you this time, we promise. Well, all, all, all what, four members of the production team on Archie went over to the TV show, probably. You know, you had the two artists, you had Sakaza and probably some other schmuck who colored it, I don't know. But it seems like everybody uh, left Archie just to do the TV show, which... I can see why, right. you know, I mean, Sabrina was a great effing comic and uh, I, I haven't really seen any trailers yet. There's been a lot of uh, guessing and Netflix is very careful about letting information like there was an article on Apple News about the sets on Sabrina and the house. And I'm like, well, OK, but why don't we talk about the characters you know, right. or whatever, going deep on that. So we'll have to check that one out and see how it goes. But uh, anyway, the, the TV shows have been keeping pace with the movies still, which is a very amazing thing to me. I still don't have too many complaints about the Marvel movies. They've been perfectly adequate. I enjoyed Ant-Man the Wasp quite a bit. I finally mm-hmm. saw that the other day. I actually like that better because it's more lighthearted yeah. than the Sturm of Drang, you know, and I kind of, I don't know, maybe it's my age, but I'm getting tired of the world being destroyed, and I just kind of like to see cool, fast-paced plots between right. believable characters that kind of care for one another. And who who was cast as Janet Van Dyne? Was it Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah, great cast. I mean, I her and uh, uh, who's who's Michael Hank Douglas? Pitt. Yeah, they're perfect. I just you know you can't complain, and uh, you know the, the 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 casting of Ant Man and the Wasp is very good. I just like them both. They're just a lot yeah. of fun. They're like, I, I feel like those are aimed at like, you know, 10 or 12 year olds. Like they, they want to trend a little bit lower than the other Marvel movies. Yeah. And it's, it's fine. And it worked out this time. The first one, you know, first one tried to mix too much serious with too much kid. And this one has got the right balance and it's just, yeah, it's fun. Right. It doesn't get too scary. It gets just scary enough where it doesn't hit you over the head with it, you know? I think I was really amazed at the um, lengths of which uh, – I can't remember the character of Ant-Man. I don't remember his real name. But the lengths he went to to entertain his daughter one day where they he imitates in the house this whole Ant-Man world made out of cardboard and whatever else he finds in the house and they have an adventure together. And I go, man, now that is one cool dad, you know? <laughs> It really is the whole slide thing through the house and everything. That was just great, you know. So yeah, it's been a, it's still you know I, I hate to say it, but uh, the TV and the movies seem to be outpacing the comics quite a bit. They're much more interesting, you know. Yeah, it's well, I. You you were talking to me the other day about we're gonna have to rename rename the podcast, and I was like, no, you know, maybe we'll get fifty out of it, and we'll see what happens. In Not the end of before we get no, I mean, like you know, after fifty, do we rename the podcast? Right, yeah, we're definitely we're definitely doing we're fifty definitely under doing the comment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that one, and uh, I will uh, before we go. I says for those of you who still read comics, uh, Andrew's comics fondle blog still is the best place on the internet to get comics he's in a he's in a rather long overview of the love and Rockets series but it's uh very important reading for anybody who cares about good comics and uh he's been letting a guest writer on there too yeah. and fun making some hash you know so i don't know it's still it's still the best some of the best intellectual writing on comics you're gonna find on the web how's that sound should I stick that horn in my butt and blow it any louder? Uh, wow, thanks, Vern. He's talking what? about his own posts, by the way, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about himself now that he's there. There you go. There you go. I'm having fun. That's yeah. all that matters. Having fun, you know. Well, great. Well, hey, we did it. We did it. We're in we an hour. It. That's perfect. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back with the 50th episode and news of the future. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know, well, but we'll, we'll have read some comics and seen Sabrina, hopefully. And hopefully we won't wait so long that we'll have seen Aquaman, because that comes out December that, 20th that, or something. Yeah, or Shazam or whatever the hell they yeah, call it. Yeah, yeah, we'll have an episode before Shazam, we promise. Oh, God. And uh, let's see, what's your what's your mail order address? Or not mail, your email address? Uh, Comicsfondle.com. You get it, and I'm I'm still at Comics Gallery with an X at Gmail. If you got anything important to say, please say it. We love to hear from people. 
And uh, you know what? We'll see you at 50. 50 will be our 50th uh, show one yeah. way or another. Back from the kids. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Thanks. God bless y'all. <laughs>